0: Andy Brownell on Newstack 1340, KROC AM at 969 FM. And I'm joined by Steve Lang, Rochester magazine. Hey Steve. How's it going, Andy? Going well. All right. I know the summer's uh I look at the calendar I realize I'm talking to you. It's almost it's almost mid-August. The summer's going by way too fast this will make great radio but i've got my calendar for august
1: right here and you can see like every day is filled up with stuff we are hoping to do this summer including (laughs) we're heading to ashley for the arts this weekend it's the my daughter and i always go it's the big music festival in arcadia wisconsin from ashley furniture it's always just kind of a eclectic mix of all kinds of bands it used to be five bucks now it's like i think 20 or 25 bucks to go but uh might be up to thirty-five now. It depends when you buy the tickets, but yep, we're leaving Friday for that, and we'll stay Friday, maybe Saturday night as well. So,
0: we going to see Night Ranger. Night Ranger is playing <laughs> Train. Um, there's too many country acts for my taste. Yeah, Brooks and you know, Dunn is the headliner, right? Brantley
1: Gilbert. Um, there's a couple other, you know, kind of minor acts with good set lists. I'm a big set list guy, so they a lot of them play really good festival set list where they'll add sure. a lot of songs and then everybody knows so
0: so is this one of those deals where it's ashley furniture does this for their community or yes is but it- it's
1: you know the music is cool ashley does it as a big give back to arcadia where their home furniture office is located and their main production facilities and the whole event is just really kid friendly there's a art festival there's all kinds of free inflatables. Once you're in there besides food, so much of the stuff is free. They have all kinds of different things going on and all kinds of stages happening. So we happened to go one year, like six or eight years ago, and and we've gone back every every year
0: since. Well, hopefully you'll have better weather than we had last weekend.
1: So the weather is supposed to be really good. And, yeah, last weekend was brutal. I mean, it. I was secretly excited for En Vogue, the Riverside show. <laughs> and we'd go to all of them but I was kind of secretly <laughs> excited about this one more than I should have been so I was a real I was really bummed when they got canceled
0: yeah I don't know what to make of that I, I was actually at a wedding Saturday it was at the art center so that you know the magnificent windows on the art oh, yeah. center and the father of the bride was giving his little speech during the reception as that storm was hitting with the lightning strikes going on behind him it was it was kind of a surreal view to have, you know, this big celebration but it looked like a natural disaster taking place, but
1: we actually went to the Honkers game that night and they postponed the start until 7:30 and we had deck passes so they opened the decks. We were at least able to eat and drink for a bit, but it looked like there was no way that game was going to happen and it didn't. Yeah.
0: Glad they pulled up. Okay. So we're here to chat a little bit about the magazine this month the front page the cover is a vietnam veteran who's become a rather well-known conservationist and he happens to be a rochester or at least a former rochester guy
1: just a great story that we happened to run across i don't remember how i how i came across this story but this is a kid his name's francis fitzgerald everybody calls him fitz and he was a saint mary's hospital born kid in 1951 went to St. Mary's, St. Pius, uh, Lourdes, and signed up for Vietnam when he was 18 years old. Just a guy who always liked uh, the outdoors. He actually thought that signing up for Vietnam would give him a chance to be some sort of um, ranger or something similar with the outdoor program. So signed up in 1969 as an 18-year-old Rochester kid and uh, 18 months later found himself uh, laying in Vietnam with uh, injuries, you know, severe injuries to his to his arm, to his leg, lost an eye, um, and and just obviously his entire life was changed and could have been for the much worse. But he turned it into something really positive.
0: Yeah, and I, he relates some stories about growing up in Rochester that I think people who've been here for a long time will kind of uh, get a kick out of his references to the old Dayton store downtown at Christmas time. And some of those other things us, us long timers have memories of still that are are long, long gone. So I appreciated that.
1: He really did give that Rochester flavor from that era, right? From the early sixties. He talks about um, attending St. Pius and the boy Scouts and being in the Rochester boys choir. And yeah, the choir performing at Christmas carols in the mezzanine at Dayton's back in the day. He really has those strong Rochester ties and that was one of the things when I first reached out to him when we were going to sign the story, you know, he lives in Ely now. And, um, you know, I reached out and said, hey, what were your ties to Rochester? And he gave me about five little stories. I thought, Okay, this guy's got some really strong ties and, and still gets back here and still has family here. So, um, yeah, a, an absolute born and, and raised Rochester
0: kid. The other part about the article that really caught me was, From his childhood on and even during his service in Vietnam where he got hurt, uh, there was always this outdoor connection. He thought the Vietnamese landscape was gorgeous and loved his mountain adventures and wanted to be a game warden and all this. And then what happened to him in Vietnam prevented him from enjoying the wilderness for a long time. It's something he had to work hard to get back into. And that is one beautiful
1: piece. So The woman who wrote the story, Paula Wright, did a really nice job. But he talks about before he went to Vietnam. So he's an 18-year-old kid, right? He's about to get shipped overseas. And what he does is he goes to Rocky Mountain National Park, I think it was, to just spend some time by himself hanging out in the woods. He's trying to find a, a moose. He's just spending some time in nature by himself. And so that was always what he loved. And, yes, he's talking about flying in the helicopters on the way to be dropped off for, you know, what's inevitably going to be a pretty horrific time and can't believe how beautiful the country is in the non-bombed out areas and, and you know, how he can't wait to get back someday when it's, you know, when it's not under constant bombardment
0: and get to see how beautiful the country really is. And his uh, journey back to, um, I guess, what post-traumatic stress syndrome, I guess. So but, uh, I love
1: these stories and I know you do too, Andy Rod Raver was one a few months ago, t- telling his personal story, and and I don't think people realize until they tell it how much it really affects others. And and I've talked to Fit Sense, and you know the amount of response he's gotten from this is through the roof because you're right, he was he was lost. So he after physically healing as much as he was able to, he ended up losing his eye. Uh, his his wounds for the most part healed. But he realized that by losing an eye, he could no longer be a game warden, which is really what he wanted to do his entire life. And so he was. He was in PTSD mode for quite a long time and really had a hard time even getting back in touch with nature. And then finally realized that the more time he spent in nature, the more he was healing emotionally, mentally, psychologically, And then he turned that healing of himself into healing for others. So he really then has devoted his life since then of reaching out to other people, you know, kids, adults, people going through stressful times and taking them into nature to try to get back to to find what's important in themselves.
0: But he's also heavily involved in conservation movements here in Minnesota.
1: He has been on all
0: boards and everything. Yep. So that
1: was part of it, too. So when he realized, you know, the importance of it for himself and for others, he really did turn his mind to conservation. He was out in Colorado for a number of years. He lives in Ely now and is very involved with with conservation. Just as a cool side note, but the guy we got to shoot him is Jim Brandenburg, who is arguably the wildlife photographer in Minnesota history. Jim Brandenburg is. Uh, another guy who's a great conservationist a great uh, lover of nature and so I called Jim because he was also an Ely and you know kind of begged him to do this shoot which he would not normally do and we'd done some work with Jim when I first started here 20 years ago and we profiled him for another magazine I was in and so he did the shoot for his minimal pay which was still a lot for us but for his minimal pay to shoot to shoot uh fits but it was just a great tie-in with two guys who've really done a lot, especially in northern Minnesota, to really keep the area as pristine as possible.
0: So, was it the book that got you connected to this guy? I saw that he wrote a book.
1: Yeah, I know that came into play somewhere. I think I I think someone had sent me just kind of an offhand bit about running into this guy in Ely, and then I reached out to him, and the book was coming out at about the same time. So, and like I said, found his his Rochester ties, but yeah, he's got a book that just came out called combat to conservation, a Marine's journey through darkness into nature's light. And, you know, we, the writer did a great job with the story, but I've gotten a chance to read um, the book and especially certain sections of the book where he talks about being injured. He's out on a recon assignment. He's actually one of the people who loves being out on the recon assignments, which is kind of, you're either looking for ambushes or maybe you're going to ambush, which is not something a lot of people would like, but he's like, you know, I was out in nature. I was doing the things I loved. Then it would be, you know, interspersed with something he would hate, but he's got an entire chapter about being injured on this bridge and waiting for the helicopters to come and just hoping he was going to survive long enough. And his partner, his buddies were going to survive long enough to make it. And they, and they did, but you know, he's, his radio guy was shot. He had to use the radio to call for help. He had to wait for the helicopters to come out and Said so he had no idea how long he was out there. He so said it could have been thirty minutes or two and a half hours. It was just a period of sheer terror, waiting for the helicopters to come and rescue you and your buddies.
0: And that's the part that really got me too—that so much terror was associated with being out in the wilderness. <laughs> that, so that's a that's a great point. That's really what
1: what was his drawback and his move forward right so when he first came back he was trying to take some other nature classes just to do something else to be a ranger to be a conservationist and he was doing some classes and he said he would find himself walking down these nature trails and be taken back to walking down a trail in Vietnam and being taken back to the very trail in his mind where he was attacked in Vietnam so he said though the more he did that it got worse and worse and more raw, but then it became better and better. And he finally found that the more he could put himself in that situation and, and realize the beauty of nature, the more important it was to his healing. And that's what he ended up devoting his entire life to. But, yeah, it's a great point because he says, I feel like a buddy turned his back on me, you know, nature, because I, I was terrified at times because yeah. I'd get I'd get taken back to, to that night in Vietnam.
0: Well, this story proves, too, is that it is a small world. I mean, we, we think of our world as so immense, and you you, know, you find this guy who has this incredible story and has led this incredible life and now is kind of semi-retired, but ends up he grew up here. And, you know, all <laughs> of it seemed like a lot of
1: happenstance. You know, when I reached out to him and he got back with his stories, and I thought, oh, how cool is that? He's got these strong ties. Um, He's got family that lives here. When I was, you know, we were kind of scrambling to get a photographer at the last second. And for me to call Jim Brandenburg, who happened to be in Ely, a guy that we dealt with before, who was able then on short notice to shoot the cover for us for this issue, it just really felt like this story was, you know, I don't get too dramatic about these things. I just felt like something that was destined to be in the magazine, you know, just <laughs> I mean, everything came together. And again, it's it's just another one of these really powerful messages where you look at yourself and think, Yep, I've had those down times. Nothing like that, obviously. But, you know, you can either turn them into something positive and try to be proactive about making yourself better or you can, like a lot of, like he says, I don't know if it's in this story, but in the book, a lot of his buddies who were in Vietnam with him, you know, and, and justifiably so, went down some really, really bad paths. Oh, yeah. And he had that ability. He said to got on that bad path and and he was able to, to find something A literal path through
0: nature that brought him
1: back to where he needed to be.
0: All right, Steve Lang from Rochester Magazine with us this morning on Rochester Today. We'll continue in a moment. I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 969 FM. This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Minute. Magazine joining us today. I'm Andy Brownell, and it is News Talk 1340 KROC AM and 969 FM. We spent the last few minutes talking about. A guy with a lot of Rochester history, and I love it when you have these little, I don't know, snippets about local history. And I'm going to give you credit. One of your history lessons in this month's magazine was one I was not aware of. Uh, me neither. And again, I waste a lot of time on, on the Internet just
1: doing random searches for Rochester stuff. And I, I came across this guy, and I didn't know the story, actually, or that he was from Rochester, so it was a real uh, coup for me as well. But there's a famous radio report from 1942 about a, an American pilot who sank a submarine over the North Atlantic. Um, and he radioed back, sighted sub, sank same." And it was became a, uh, a famous phrase in World War II. People used it on on, uh, you know, posters, that sort of thing. Yeah. And this pilot, uh, Donald Mason is a Rochester kid, a 1933 class of 33 Rochester high school grad, former bellman at the Campbell hotel, which is another building I didn't know much about until I had to research it, got to research it. But so this is a guy who became a hero and was held up by the, uh, by the military as a hero, and he got to tour around and give speeches and talk about his time. And there's some great photos about him with, um, you know, telling the story. He's actually holding his hand like it's an airplane, and he's telling the story to Betty Grable and a number of other uh, famous movie actresses from the 1940s. And there's a picture of him here at the parade and rally at the fairgrounds in Rochester in 1942 where thousands of people showed up to see this hometown World War II pilot hero, hero come back home for a little bit
0: but then the irony was that he never actually sank the sob so the first sub, <laughs>
1: it turns out was not sunk so they it was uh radioed back and it was a much publicized message by the navy and american british flyers and then it Turned out that he hadn't sunk that sub. It had survived the the uh, attack from him. But then another uh, sub, like a month later, he had done the same thing, and that sub was verified to be sunk. That was a verified but, uh, sink, okay. But, yeah, so he was a naval commander and uh, 20 years of service. Ended up moving out to California with his wife, Anna. But uh, just a great story about a hometown kid who – who became a World War II hero and, and again, got a chance to, to tour all around the country and was really held up as a, as a uh, you know, someone who was a really good publicist for the Navy.
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know if you, you probably are aware of it, but I had the author on a week or so ago. Uh, there's a new book just came out this week that uh, is Lost Histories of Rochester, Minnesota. Amy Holland. Yeah, it's full of stories like that. So actually, Amy Hahn
1: has supplied us with a few of these Rochester retros, they're called. And we did an excerpt from her last book she had done. And actually, it was funny because she reached out with this book and said, hey, we're doing another one. Do you want the same things? And I said, oh, my gosh, yeah. So I just got the book actually in the mail the other day. I was going through and and she and I are going to work together and pull an excerpt for the magazine for an upcoming issue. And then we use some of her standalone little pieces for this Rochester retro section as well. So she does a great job with those.
0: Yeah, I have the book as well. I'm enjoying the heck out of it. Just started reading it. And the other one is a well-known story, if you've lived in this community long enough, but it needs to be told um, many times, I believe, because uh, there are folks who don't know the story of the old Avalon on Broadway. This story still blows my mind. And actually, even
1: when I was updating it for this piece in the magazine, I was able to find a lot more info than I had previously, including um, Vern Manning's wife's name, uh, some info about the, the diner they had in Seattle. But so the Avalon Hotel was previously a Jewish-owned hotel in Minnesota. And that's the – how do you describe that building, Andy? That's the Avalon Music Building, correct now?
0: Yeah, it's right by the railroad tracks.
1: Yep. So there was a hotel there at one point called the Northwestern Hotel. That was built in 1919, and it was really for Jewish clients under the ownership of Sam and Lena Sternberg, who were two uh, Jewish proprietors in town. And then Vern Manning came to town in 1944, came out from Seattle with his wife, Mary, to get care for Mary at Mayo Clinic. And when they got here, they're a black couple, and no Rochester hotels would rent them a room. So they owned a sandwich shop and fountain place in, in Seattle. And they came back here and bought the Northwestern and turned into the Avalons. This was a guy who was turned away for a hotel in Rochester. A year later, he comes out and buys a hotel and opens it up to black families in Rochester. And and just, you know, in 19, late 1940s, early 1950s, this was a big deal. It was a big deal anywhere in the state. It was the first of its kind in Rochester. And... In the hotel, and you know this, Andy has such an unbelievable history because right. a black musician who was coming here through through here stayed, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, Nat King Cole, um, in the Ink Spots. So you know, the battles this guy faced, Vern and his wife Mary Manning, the battles they faced in Rochester owning a black hotel that uh, a hotel that serviced black families, is is pretty heroic actually when you think about it and you read some of the stuff that people were writing in the paper and, and talking about on the radio and hear that at the time, it's, it's pretty hard to believe and get your head around, but, but these it guys, is. these guys did this for a long time. And, um, you know, it, it's one of those, it seems like it's too recent for something like that to happen.
0: It does. when you think about it, when you say in the 1950s, <laughs> 50- that-
1: <laughs> That was the
0: only hotel that would cater to African American clientele. It's a story that we all need to be reminded of that, in the not too distant past, that level of racism was the norm.
1: And and I just loved how he came out here, was turned down, and a year later said, "We're coming out and building and buying yeah. a hotel here," and and did that and made it work for such a long time. And it it is it's a huge. Hugely important part of Rochester history, and there's a—I got to make sure I get the name right. I think it was called the Green Book, but it was a. Oh book. yeah, the movie.
0: Yeah, fantastic well,
1: the, movie. No, the, well, there's a there's a book called the Green Book that was, um, a guide to black right. travelers, and
0: is it a movie as well? Oh, you you haven't seen that movie? No, I've it's a movie that is about the Green Book. Okay, so and the travels of a family. It's fantastic.
1: And there's a great uh, notation in there because the History Center just had a uh, display about this very thing. But, um, you know, so you get the green book and you look in Rochester and there's really one hotel and that's the Avalon. So if you're coming to Rochester, you are a black family carrying this green book. If you're doing any traveling, this is where you stayed. And he was just a really well-respected businessman in town. His wife did a lot to give back to the community. But again, just a great, great, great story about a guy who, single-handedly really helped bring rochester into the into the future
0: and uh, yeah if you're not aware of it do more research on it and see that movie too steve you got to see it Mm -hmm. we have to take a break though and uh, we'll be back after the news break with more of steve lang rochester magazine on rochester today News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM.
1: This is the Family Service Rochester Mental Health Mix.
0: Today, I'm Andy Brownell on News Talk 1340, KROC AM and 96.9 FM with Steve Lang, Rochester Magazine. I, I got to tell you, Steve, I got a kick out of your random Rochesterite this month and your 10 questions or 10 or so questions. Um, the gal who... Grew up in San Francisco and lived the life of a hippie for a while. And then came to Rochester and I, I, I just put a smile on my face. I don't know why.
1: Again, I mean, it's Jennifer Kosky's, you know, monthly miracle for the magazine that she gets these stories from people. And yeah, this this woman, uh, Kathy Nichols, who Jen met at a Jeremiah Program fundraiser. Oh, really? And- Neat. Yeah so she had um moved at one point to San Francisco in the 60s and literally lived like hate ashbury I mean just yeah. just became somehow entwined in the center of the hippie culture of the 60s in in the center of the hippie culture of the 60s so just this great story, about are going to see all these bands who at the time were just going kind to of up and coming, you know, playing uh, Jefferson East. Airplane, Hendrix, Grateful Dead, Creedence, cleared <laughs> Three Dog Night, um, Joe Cocker, clapped in The Door, Santana. I mean, just you know, just it's one of those things I don't think you realize until you get away from it. Like she talks about how amazing it was at the time to be in this place at that time.
0: I have a memory from my childhood, which this whole story just reminded me of uh, when my dad was at IBM school uh, in San Jose in 1967 sure the whole family moved out to San Jose for a couple months and stayed in a hotel or motel it was a motel definitely a motel <laughs> and uh, w- you know we were tourists basically so when dad wasn't in school we were taking in the pier and all this other things and of course my older sisters wanted to see the hate so dad takes us up to the Hayden, in the 1967 ford galaxy <laughs> station wagon and we've got all the windows down and you know these are the roll-up windows back then and we drive into hate ashbury and you know it's just a bunch of old houses basically old row houses and this uh guy with really long hair no shirt and dirty pants comes walking up to my dad up to the driver's window when we're at a stoplight and asked my dad if he has if he could spare a buck, and it's my dad's response was, "Roll up the windows," <laughs> and he peeled away from the corner, squealing the tires.
1: So that was your only experience. So you must have been in the
0: Ashbury, yeah. You must have been pretty young when that happened. I was very, very young. Okay. But that that was kind of memory that sticks in your craw. Let's put it That's that way.
1: Classic. Yeah. So just a great piece by Jennifer Kosky on uh, Kathy Nichols and just. There's always these moving pieces too, where she's talking about, you know, how much her kids mean to her, and and yes. you know, it. I guess I can always see myself in these because they always, you know, people are always able. Jennifer always gets them to open up enough where they they give you some insight that you know they might not normally give in a normal interview. So yeah, Kasky does a phenomenal of those,
0: and I and I like that that part of it as well because. I'm at that stage now where I'm running into a lot of young families who are going through the stressful times of very young children. And, you know, there's the sleep deprivation that goes along with it, the um, frustrations that you have, you know, the kids screaming and throwing toys everywhere, and you you can never keep up with what's happening in life. And, and I tell these people, trust me, you're going to think these are the best times of your life. And they all look at me like I'm completely insane when I say that.
1: No, I would agree. That's uh, it's you know, hindsight has been twenty twenty with the raising the kids for sure.
0: And another part of that story, I think she made a reference when she moved to Rochester and how they didn't fit in when they moved from San Fran to Rochester. I'm not sure that this was the article or not. The the bell bottoms and the I will
1: have to look at that when I at okay. like that part of it. But yeah, she uh, I know they had moved to a farm when they first got back to Minnesota. They got cheap land and came back and bought two hundred acres south of Chevlin. I don't know. Yeah, they I'm they not are.
0: aware where Chevlin is. House
1: in a barn and they said they paid eleven thousand dollars for two hundred acres and a house in a barn back then. So <laughs> had a great story and says uh Yeah, she said we were disguising ourselves so we didn't look like hippies. We stood out like a sore thumb. So yeah yes. moving to a Minnesota small town, Minnesota farm community from from the heart of the hippie culture. And yeah, she said they didn't didn't quite fit in and and uh, uh, you know, eventually made our way to Rochester.
0: And when I came back from that summer living in California and went back to school at Elton Hills Elementary School, <laughs> we had bell bottoms because that's what you wore when you're out in San Francisco for a few months. <laughs> and uh, I was sent home to change my clothing. Wow, that's <laughs> That's excellent. It was a different world. And uh, your 10 or so questions, I... I I honestly laughed out loud. A couple so this
1: times guy now. was just a again. I think I was searching IMDb and came across this guy's name. Ed. No, I saw a story in the PB that referenced him. It's Ed Araquel, and he's a former Mayo Clinic Systems analyst. And then he gave that job up. Actually, he was kind of driven out of it. He was he was consulting for him. They were going to hire him full time, and the money was far less than the consultant pay. So he said, "Forget this." I always loved cameras and. I'm going to move back out to uh Vancouver area where my parents are from and see if I can make a living doing photography. And now he's a well-known photographer of movie stills. So he shoots still shots of movies for posters, et cetera, but he also shoots a lot of behind the scenes shots during the filming that they use for promo that they use for, you know, all that kind of, uh, of, post-production stuff that happens when they're when they're doing the media media blitz so he has now if you go to his uh internet movie database imdb page he's got 161 times when he would show up in the movie credits as a photographer
0: my favorite part did you do the interview with him was i did yep so when you asked him about uh, you're working for the Mail clinic and did you enjoy any (laughs) one word answer no
1: you know, he was really open about that to a degree. That was really funny, too. He says, uh, as I said, you know, because he left Mayo and they kind of. He felt kind of drove him into this other job where they didn't uh, didn't you know give him what he wanted. And so he just decided, OK, forget it. I'm not doing this anymore. But, yeah, I said, um, uh, do you ever pine for the Mayo days? And He just said, no, no. And and I said, OK, well, I mean, but then he eventually said, you know what? It turned out to be a good thing because the way it ended with him caused him to completely rethink his career path, and now he's a, a very famous photographer for for all kinds of different movies and studios. So when I talked oh, he, to him, he was he's still in the West Coast? Movies. Yep, he still lives in the Vancouver area, definitely in British Columbia, and that is a okay. big hotbed for movies. So oh, sure. One of the reasons he moved there is. His Vancouver area is kind of a second Hollywood area, and a lot of people shoot there because I guess it's cheaper to shoot in Canada and sometimes easier. But he, uh, you know, he this is what he does for a living. He shoots stills of, of major motion
0: pictures. It's a rather unusual profession.
1: And it's pretty wild because he is, you know, and for people who like this kind of thing, he's a big hobnobber with the stars. You know, you go on his website, and there are tons of photos of him with you know every major celebrity that he happens to be spending the day with just shooting them on set so um didn't seem like a big starstruck guy but uh but you know really loves what he's doing and, and credits the fact that mayo you know pushed him out, him out, out the door <laughs> yeah, forced him out <laughs> of there and forced him into a better job so
0: all right well we'll take a, another quick break and continue with steve lang here on rochester today News Talk, 1340
1: KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Hey, Anna, the Twins are playing at Target Field. Want to go?
0: Chester Magazine. I'm Andy Brownell. News Talk, 1340 KROC AM and 96.9 FM. Um, usually have one big adventure every summer. Last summer, it was the big sailboat race. Yeah. Uh, Have you done anything wild and
1: woolly this summer? So... We've got a lot of small vacations in, but then um, just a week ago, right, a week or two ago, I took off on a motorcycle trip. And normally my dad and I go on one. He was able to go this year. He's 87 and his back is not uh, cooperating with him. So so I took off. I went, I was going to go to Oklahoma. I had a whole trip down there planned. I was going to go to Missouri, I was going to go try to see Otani pitch, which you'll appreciate, in Kansas City. So Shohei Otani, but he was not going to pitch that weekend. Oh, no. Anyway, and then it was, I love Hannibal, Missouri, riding down the river, that area. But it was going to be like 105 degrees. So I scrapped all my plans at the last second and I decided to head north and lucked out with some campgrounds. And I ended up going north to the southern shore of Superior. And I drove that all the way around counterclockwise through Canada. So I got to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. And I took a left and, uh, and went along the Northern road of Lake Superior through Canada. I camped in provincial campgrounds. Um, it was phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever done that loop, Andy, the Northern no, shore of Lake Superior. I love the upper peninsula. I love the North shore of Minnesota. This puts those to shame. I mean, the, the pristine, aspect the views everything else in the northern shores of lake superior in canada is is unbelievable it's pretty desolate i mean you come into a town and you've got your gas station and your in your restaurant and your bar and that's it but that was kind of the beauty of it too is there wasn't a lot of uh you know everything was kind of set for where you're going to stop and what you're going to do but i lucked out with some campsites in canada and i actually found a couple campsites well, at like Temperance River State Park on the North Shore. Um, but yeah, 2,000 miles solo motorcycle trip. I had pretty much beautiful weather. I got rained on a few times, but uh, it was it was great. It was uh, the perfect trip, perfect weather. You know, it was a bummer that my dad couldn't go, but he really wanted me to go and, and send him pics along the way, so I did that.
0: So when you're on the Canadian side of the lake, are those small little towns that you're talking about spread out? Along are they far apart from each other? Yeah, and you know, they're very so there's a lot of
1: people making the same trip, right? So there's a lot of kind of touristy aspects to each of the small towns. They usually have some pretty decent, you know, hotel and motel bases, but they're all pretty sold out. It's pretty tough to get rooms there. In fact I couldn't. I end up I figured I was gonna camp anyway, but I end up getting some campsites. But yeah, they're very much geared towards the tourists. I mean, there'll be a little You know, like a little shop that sells all the, you know, trinkets for tourists type of thing. There's a lot of photo ops for tourists. But there's also just a lot of off the beaten pack water path waterfalls and petroglyphs and you know, unbelievable hikes. So and it was people were so nice. I mean, I also probably looked homeless when I would pull in because my (laughs) hair was crazy and had been showering, but Everybody was so nice, you know, inviting me over to their campsite for dinner and for beers and coffee in the morning and met a lot of really cool people. And and we really had a blast. So, so the- actually, you know, I saw in the North Shore, Tracy McCrae and Joel. What? Yep. So they were camping. They were staying that camping um, right by when I was in Temperance River State Park. And so I... I knew they were going to be up there, and Joel texted me or vice versa, and we ended up getting together for a breakfast one morning.
0: Small world. Keep saying it. It's a small world. You can be five hours away from home and still run into somebody you know really well. That's crazy.
1: But if you ever want to do a a very, you know, kind of rustic trip and just a different take on it, that that north shore of Lake Superior in the Canadian side is beautiful. So is it all two-lane blacktop that you're on? Yes, there's a lot of passing lanes, though, a lot, like, I don't know if there are any or very few on, say, 61 going up from Duluth to to Grand Portage. There are a lot of passing lanes here, so it was really well done where you're not stuck behind some semi for very long, Um, so that was really nice, and the roads were were pretty nice, and, you know, there's only a couple big cities you actually come into, Marathon and Thunder Bay Oh, maybe okay. you'll appreciate it. I keep telling people this story and no one knows who I'm talking about. I'm i gonna guess you will, which is putting pressure on you because this is a kind of a, a nebulous one. But I stopped at in Marathon, Ontario. It's a giant statue for Terry Fox. Okay. I'm shaking my he head. He had one leg. He had lost one leg to cancer. He was an eighteen year old kid. He was trying to run a marathon a day and run across Canada. He dipped his prosthetic leg in the Atlantic over by, like, Newfoundland, then started to run. This was, like, 1980. And he was running a marathon a day. It became a big news story, starting out with nothing. He'd really done a little to promote it. And he got to Marathon Canada and had to stop. His cancer had recurred. He ended up uh, it had been metastasized to his lungs. He ended up oh, dying hello. soon after. But it was just one of those really moving stories for me as a kid. I was 11, so following that was really... Cool, and I happen to be coming through Marathon and see this giant statue of this, you know, iconic figure from a short period of my youth. But uh, any anyway, of those are the kinds of stops. You're not making any big stops in in Canada. It's a lot of those kinds of things. A lot of petroglyphs, hikes, little
0: waterfall, you know, walk down to the lake type thing. Okay, so is it is the view similar to if you were taking the old North Shore Drive, you know, the old sixty one, where you're seeing the lake and the it and all the ex- features?
1: It is, except you're seeing the lake in this, in my case on the left side, then on the right side, there are all the beautiful North Shore type things that wouldn't be next to the lake. So you're seeing the big lakes on the you know with the with the big old growth forests on the other side. So you're looking at Lake Superior on one side and the other side, you're looking at what looks like the North Channel of of, of mm-hmm. Canada. So I mean just it was, it was the best of both worlds on both sides of the road. It was really, really beautiful stuff and just really cool, like I said, very manageable tourist towns you'd pull into and get all your stuff taken care of and move on.
0: What was the most kitschy thing you found? Because I know that's what you hunt for.
1: So everyone takes a picture of themselves in front of this giant goose in Wawa, Ontario. <laughs> so I did that. There's also a giant, another photo op, which is a giant Winnie the Pooh. And so I was taking all those pictures and sending them back to my dad and my family of me and <laughs> stupid, stupid uh, tourist attractions. But uh, no, it was cool, and it was like I said, really, a lot of really friendly people in Canada that I got to, to meet and hang out with. And
0: did, cool they they, are, did they all tell you? Did they all look, look at were the mor- hell's
1: angels in uh, one gas station? We got poured on, so every motorcyclist within you know rain distance had stopped in this one gas station. There was about 30 Hells Angels and me in one one gas station.
0: But you were, you fit it right in with the hair and the Sportster.
1: Another guy who wasn't a Hells Angel was there, and we were joking, and he said, you, you look the most like a Hells Angel of any of these guys because he's all, <laughs> I don't know if the new generation of Hells Angels or the older generation, but they were all guys with, like, beautiful motorcycles with, the you know, big covers in the front and, you know, Really nice Hells angels vests type thing, and i looked I looked pretty wrecked, but uh
0: it's become a fashion statement,
1: yeah it was uh like I said it was a great trip, but if anyone is interested in that in that circle tour of Lake Superior, it's definitely worth it.
0: did anybody say that you were crazy for making that big of a trip riding a sports tour, which is not a really smooth riding bike
1: you know I had Pushed. I had to make too many miles too quickly. I kind of underestimated how far I was gonna have to ride, so I had a couple days of really having to bust butt riding 450 miles you know, <laughs> type thing. And I remember pulling to one spot, and the guy's like, "How long have you been riding today?" And I told him he's like on that, and I said, "Yeah." <laughs> he said, "Cause he's like, he you had know, the big fairings in front, and the, you know, heated whatever." And he's like, "You're just completely exposed to everything in that bike."
0: I said, "Yeah, that's kind of how I like it." So. Steve roughing it on the north shore of the Big Lake. Okay. But we ought to run. So I appreciate your time, Steve, and your stories and the magazine as well. We'll connect again next month, hopefully. Hey, thanks a lot. Great job as always, Andy. Well, thanks, Steve. See you later. Steve Lang with Rochester Magazine. I'm Andy Brownell. It's Rochester Today, News Talk 1340, KROC AM and six nine FM. The
1: Minnesota Twins play here.